Good morning, church. I just feel like there's a sweet spirit of, of worship uh, here this morning. I'm really excited. Um, I hope that that continues. Um, as David just said, my name is Alex. Um, I've been attending this church since 2015, uh, and it's been a great honor to be a part of this body. My wife, Anna, and I, we serve on the missions team, um, and it's been really wonderful to get to impact uh, the nations all over the world through this church. Um, yeah, and so we're, we're just grateful to be a part of this body. Um, we're going to be diving into some meat today, and I'm super excited about that. We hear in Scripture that um, there's both milk and meat. Uh, dismiss the children. Oh, sorry. My wonderful <laughs> wife, the children's ministry coordinator, just informed me that I didn't dismiss the children for Children's Church, so at this time you may be dismissed. Sorry about that. Sorry, Alex. Awesome. Yeah, so we're going to be diving into some meat today. So if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, um, if you're a brand new believer, maybe like Toby, um, there is stuff for you to learn this morning. But even if you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, um, my hope and prayer is that there's going to be something really good, even if it's just one nugget that you're going to get, hopefully, uh, from the message this morning. Um, for those of you who, well, sorry, before I move on to that, um, I want to mention that the, the title of the sermon is The Lord Will Provide. Um, and that actually comes from this passage. Um, and so we'll go more in detail about that here in just a minute. For those of you who don't know, uh, today is actually a really important holiday for two-plus billion Muslims around the world. It's a holiday called Eid al-Adha. It's the second most important holiday for them. Um, and in Arabic, Eid al-Adha means feast of sacrifice. Um, the most important holiday, as some of you may know, is Ramadan. Uh, it's the holy month. Uh, it happened actually, I think, from April to May this year. Um, and they spend the entire 30 days uh, fasting from sunrise to sunset, and it's a time where they're seeking the Lord. Um, but Eid al-Adha, which is started last night and ends tonight at sunset, is a feast commemorating um, the sacrifice of Ishmael, um, which is the story that we're going to talk about today. Um, it is uh, a feast that lasts for several days, and so um, Muslims are celebrating for several days this week. Um, another important aspect of this holiday is something called the Hajj, uh, which some of you have maybe seen pictures in Saudi Arabia in Mecca, the holiest city of Islam. Uh, it's where all the Muslims kind of go around that big black box maybe that you've seen called the Kaaba. Um, and so that's also happening this year, or sorry, this week. And so uh, this is a really important time uh, for Muslims. And so as I was uh, thinking about what to preach on, I was like, I'm going to preach on Genesis 22. Um, with this holiday, they, they take a lamb or a goat, uh, whatever they may have, and they'll slaughter it as a commemoration of God providing um, in that sacrifice, which we're going to read here in just a minute in Genesis 22. And it's really cool. They actually take a third of the meat for themselves and for their family. They give a third of the meat to family and to friends, and they actually give a third of the meat to the poor, um, to those who wouldn't be able to celebrate otherwise. Um, and so it's a, it's a reminder of God's provision um, for his people, um, and it, but it's also a great time of hospitality and serving one another. And I would say the closest parallel that we have in Christianity is probably Passover, um, but then here in America, you can maybe think about Thanksgiving. Um, and so, it, like I said, it's a very important holiday for Muslims, 
We actually have some missionaries uh, that are in uh, Bosnia and then also in Southeast Asia, um, as Carson even was just sharing. And so um, I think the hope and prayer is that even they might get invited into a Muslim's home today uh, as a part of the feast and, and the holiday. And I just, I want to encourage us as a body, um, whether it's this time of year or just throughout the year, um, just to be thinking and having your eyes open to, to maybe Muslims that, you know, you might come across, whether it be at the grocery store or, or somewhere else. Uh, we actually have two mosques here in Athens, uh, and there are several businesses that are owned and operated by Muslims. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, if you see someone maybe who looks a little bit different than yourself, uh, you maybe see a hijab uh, maybe on the women, a covering, you know, chances are they're probably Muslim. Um, and so I just want to encourage you maybe to take that step, maybe reach out and, and say hello, um, but also just to be praying for Muslims as well. Um, because they believe that Ishmael uh, is the son who is who was um, about to be sacrificed in this story, but we know that it's, that it's Isaac. Um, and so we'll talk about that today. But this story ultimately isn't about Isaac, and it's not about Ishmael. It's ultimately about God, uh, and it points to Jesus, which is awesome. So we're about to find out. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> we're about to find that out here in just a minute. I'd like to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. I uh, hope you have your Bibles. And if you do, please turn to Genesis 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. Verse 1, reading from the ESV. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar, the altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Sorry. <laughs> and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. Sorry, guys, I need a second. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Behold, behind him was a ram 
caught in a thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word um, and for the power of your word. God, we just ask and pray that you would speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, um, speak to each and every one of us. We pray, God, that this would be a special time when we all hear from you um, in an amazing way. We pray that you would take us deeper in worship, take us deeper in obedience, take us deeper in relationship with you this morning. God, even as we were singing about your faithfulness through the generations, God, this story happened 3,000 years ago. But God, you are still faithful today. And so God, just remind us of your faithfulness. Show up this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that, guys. I was not expecting to get emotional. Um, So it's really important whenever we read a passage of Scripture to look at the context. Um, It's very dangerous to look at like a single verse, um, you know, and then, you know, take maybe something, a a teaching, whatever it may be, from that. Um, Ultimately, you can probably take any verse from the Bible and make it say what you want it to. And so we don't want to do that this morning. I want to look at some context here. Verse 1 of chapter 22 uh, mentions after these things. And so I want to talk about what these things actually are. Um, So if you're familiar with the story of Genesis, um, God shows up in some really cool ways to Abraham and to his family. Um, In Genesis 12, Genesis 15, 17, and 18, there is promise after promise that God is making to Abraham. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, you guys are probably very familiar with, you know, it's the, the story where God tells Abraham, you know, pick up everything you have, go and move to the land that I will tell you. Um, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And anyone who blesses you, I will bless them. Anyone who curses you, I'll curse them. And he says, through you, amen, amen. He says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God's making these really amazing promises to Abraham there. In Genesis chapter 15, you know, we have the, um, the covenant that God makes um, with Abraham. Um, and then I think it's 17 where we have the covenant of circumcision. And then in 18, he's reminding Abraham again of his promises, and there's the promise of the birth of Isaac. And so the chapter right before this is chapter 21. If you do get time, uh, go back and read it, because there's some really cool things that happen in chapter 21. Uh, But the first thing is the birth of Isaac. Um, Abraham and Sarah had a hard time having children, and um, we see in Scripture that uh, as they were waiting for the Lord to provide a child— they decided to take matters into their own hands and, and have a son um, through Hagar, um, who was a slave, a slave woman, a servant in Abraham's household. 
uh, and that's uh, how Ishmael was born. And so Ishmael was technically a son of Abraham, but he ultimately was not the son of promise. It was Isaac. Um, and you guys, I'm sure, know the story of Isaac. Um, God promises that he's going to come. You know, Sarah's really old, and she laughs at God because she's like, I'm really old. I'm not going to have a child. This is crazy, right? And so God's like, well, it's going to happen this time next year. And in fact, you're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. <laughs> so God has a funny sense of humor. Um, but the chapter right before this, Isaac is finally born. So the promise has finally come true. Uh, after that, we see that Ishmael, we, it's hard to tell exactly what's going on, but Ishmael is laughing at Isaac. Uh, for some reason, it, it may seem to imply some sort of mocking. Uh, so Sarah gets angry. She says, well, um, Abraham, we need, to, we need to kick them out. Uh, they can't be here anymore. Abraham's upset, but God actually shows up and says, Abraham, it's okay. I promised you that I was going to make nations from you. I'm going to protect Hagar, I'm going to protect Ishmael, and I will make a great nation of them as well, even though they're not with you. And so there's that story where they send Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert uh, Hagar is out of water, you know, she's praying, right? And, and God shows up, and there's a well. Um, and it says that basically through Ishmael, a whole other a whole other nation um, came to be born. And I'll mention this as well. Historically, um, Muslims, Arabs, uh, actually um, claim their descendancy from Ishmael. And so um, potentially the Nabataeans or the Arabs of present-day Saudi Arabia are descended from Ishmael. And so God has fulfilled that promise. He has, he has kept his word. And then after that, there's this guy named Abimelech. Um, he's a, like a local ruler, leader, um, and this is really cool. He comes up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I see that God is with you. God has blessed you, and he's been with you every step of the way. Let's make an agreement. I want to be on your side. I want to be friends with you. And so they make a, a covenant. They make a, a treaty, basically, for mutual protection, um, and uh, he gives Abraham a well uh, of water so that Abraham and his descendants can uh, survive. I think about that, and I'm like, church, like, how cool would it be if we honored God and, and walked with God in such a way that people came up to us and said, I see that God's with you. Like, I want to know you. I want to be friends with you because I want the blessing of God on my life too. So anyways, that stuff's happening right before this. So when it says after these things, it's, it's easy to just skip that over, but there's some really cool stuff that's happening right before this passage starts. And so we see that God's doing amazing thing after amazing thing. It's God, God, God. And so we're about to see what God's going to do next, which is great. So in verse 1, um, it says that after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Um, just want to mention this, that sometimes God tests us. Uh, if you've got your, I forgot to mention this, I'm sorry. If you have your uh, little flyer, your little... Um, yeah, that, the yellow thing that Shannon's got. Um, you can follow along. Um, I'm going to try and highlight the words for you. So the first blank is test. Sometimes God tests us. Uh, being tested isn't something um, that's very popular nowadays. It's not something that I feel like we love. Uh, but it, it is something that God does. And maybe some of you feel like you're being tested by God right now. Maybe in this season, it's been a testing season. It's been hard. It's been difficult. Um, and this may be hard to hear, but we should count God's testing as loving kindness. We should count it as a blessing. Um, Abraham did, and uh, yeah, it worked out well. Verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
Um, so I want to highlight this, this phrase, only son whom you love. So as we just mentioned, Ishmael is a son of Abraham. So technically, uh, Isaac is not the only son. Um, but Isaac is the chosen son. He's the son through which the promises of God are going to continue. Another really cool thing about this passage is that this is the very first time the word love is used in the Bible. And so it uh, kind of brings along, and it's this idea of beloved, right? And there's a parallel, actually, in the Gospels of Jesus being the beloved only son. So just as Isaac is the beloved only son of Abraham, Jesus is the beloved only son of God the Father. Um, in, the, in the Greek, uh, it's the word agapetos. Um, and that's where we get the, the uh, form of love, agape. I was at uh, Jeff and Stephanie's wedding yesterday. Some of you may have been there too. And Pastor Jeff was talking about agape. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'll be mentioning that tomorrow. Agape is the unconditional love of God. It's not the eros love. It's not the romantic love. It's not the friendship love, the phileo love. It's the agape. It's no matter what happens, I'm going to love you uh, through thick and thin. And so that's the love that we're, that we're seeing here in this passage. And in the Gospels, when it's used, God uses it at really special times in Jesus' life. Um, so the word agape is used, um, uh, it's used at Jesus' baptism. It's used at his transfiguration. It's used uh, whenever prophecies are being made or being shared about who Jesus is. And it's also used when Jesus teaches in parables. Um, and so I just want to mention that. It's a little, a little bit of a word uh, it's so just some word fun, I guess is what I'll call it. And we see that here in this passage. It's the first time it's used, and it's used throughout Scripture moving forward. I also want to highlight burnt offering. Um, it's not something that we really do today, um, but it was something that was very common uh, in Old Testament times. Um, Leviticus 1, we won't go there, but I have it in your little notes. You can check it out later. Leviticus 1 actually lays out what burnt offering is. It lays out for the Jews um, how to do that. But the gist is that it was meant to make atonement. Percent. Um, so you would take a bull, uh, if you had less money, maybe a sheep or a goat, uh, or maybe even a bird, and the idea was that it was without blemish. It was a perfect animal, um, and that was meant um, to be sacrificed uh, to God to make atonement for sin. Who do you know, uh, without blemish, uh, who has made atonement for our sins? Jesus, right? The classic Sunday school answer. Uh, it's correct in this sense, right? Jesus is ultimately the burnt offering for us. Amen. I also want to mention Genesis 8, uh, verses 20 to 22. I'm actually going to turn there. Uh, you're welcome to turn there with me if you want, but I'm, I'm going to read it real quick for us. This is the story of Noah. This is right after the flood has ended. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Um, and so we see here in this passage that after the flood is over, Noah offers a burnt offering after leaving the ark. Um, and it's to make atonement for sin for all mankind. Uh, it's, it's an act of worship for Noah, but it's also to make atonement. 
And we also see this pleasing aroma language that's mentioned in this passage. And it's mentioned here, and it's also mentioned in Leviticus 1. So there's kind of this idea of when a burnt offering is made to God, it's a pleasing aroma to him. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I think of that, I think of God kind of like, you know, smelling maybe the smoke of the sacrifice and being like, I like that. Um, so whatever it is about the burnt offering, God likes it. He's pleased with it. Um, and we get uh, with burnt offering this idea of substitutionary atonement, um, which is a, a really big phrase, really big term. But it's the idea, basically, that um, instead of you having to pay for your sin, that someone else is substituted. Someone or something else is substituted and pays for your sin instead. Uh, because ultimately, we know in Scripture that something has to die when sin is committed. Uh, scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we see that even in the very first story of the Bible with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve sin, what does God do? He covers them with animal skins to cover their shame, to cover their sin. So again, it's not explicitly said, but the idea is that like, those animals had to die in order for Adam and Eve to get the covering that they needed for the sin that they had committed. So that starts actually in Genesis, and it goes all throughout Scripture, this idea of substitutionary atonement, which we'll talk more about here in a little bit. The other thing I want to highlight from this verse is uh, Moriah. So it mentions the land of Moriah. So Moriah in uh, Hebrew means chosen by Jehovah. And I want us to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, if you're able. If not, no big deal. Um, this is a story of Solomon building the temple. Um, so much later, after the story of Abraham, and 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. We're going to talk about this story of David and Ornan here in just a little bit, but we see in this verse that God mentions the house of the Lord on Mount Moriah. So what is the house of the Lord? It's the temple. So this is cool. The place where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac is the same place where the temple stands today. Um, and for all of Jewish history, it's been an extremely important, maybe the most important location for Jews um, on, on the earth. And it represents a place of, of God's provision for his people. It represents a place of his presence. It represents a place where sacrifices are made um, on their behalf. Verse 3, um, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It says early in the morning. Um, so we don't know exactly what time the first day, you know, that God spoke to Abraham and told him to do this. But Abraham doesn't hesitate. Uh, he gets up early the next morning. He's ready. He packs and he leaves. And so we see here that Abraham obeys immediately and fully. Um, I'm sure that Abraham was wrestling internally, you know, but we don't hear that. Like, God just told him to sacrifice his own son, um, the son that God had promised to him. Through him, all the nations of the, of the world would be blessed. I'm sure that Abraham's surely wrestling inside with, like, God, like, why are you telling me to do this? Um, I'm sure it's difficult, but regardless of the difficulty, we see that Abraham obeys God even when it's costly. 
how often do we obey like that? Are we willing to obey God even when it's costly, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense? I hope and pray that we'll be a church that does. Uh, Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Just want to mention real quick, uh, this isn't in the notes, but just want to mention and highlight that the third day. Uh, Three days is just a really important um, symbolism, I guess, of time uh, throughout Scripture. And most commentators and biblical scholars point to this and say that this is a comparison to the resurrection, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. So three days after they depart, they come to the mountain where they're ready to to sacrifice. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. will go over there and worship and come again to you. I think it's significant that Abraham calls what he's about to do. He knows that he's about to sacrifice his son, but he calls it worship. In the Hebrew, uh, it's the word shaha, uh, and it indicates exactly what this word says. It indicates worship. It indicates sacrifice. It's the idea of bowing down. It's literally the image of bowing down and prostrating completely to the Lord, Um, and it's used throughout Scripture. I want us to turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 24, verses 18 to 25. I'm going to read this passage. This is the passage that I mentioned earlier um, about David. Second Samuel, chapter 24, verses 18 to 25. It should be in your notes. Um, and there's a parallel passage as well that you can read later on. We won't go into it, but 1 Chronicles 22 um, has a parallel passage uh, of the same story. 2 Samuel 24, verse 18. Uh, this is, sorry, uh, quick context. Um, David and his pride, um, King David, decided to do a census um, to basically measure the number of warriors that Israel had because he wanted to kind of boast about it, right? And so um, God was upset with that. He actually brings a plague on the people of Israel, and a lot of people die. So this is in the midst of that. Uh, God basically told him to uh, make an altar to the Lord in order to avert the plague. So that's the context of this. Verse 18. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Araunah the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Araunah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Araunah went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Araunah said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Araunah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Araunah gives to the king. And Araunah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Araunah, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver, and David, David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. So, um, again, that same location is the location of the future temple that still exists to this day. Um, but we see in that passage um, that worship is costly. King David is unwilling to offer to worship the Lord in a way that doesn't cost him anything. 
Sometimes worship is costly. And again, tying that back into what we've already seen with Abraham, Abraham does that. Abraham is willing to worship the Lord even though it's costly. The other piece of this verse that I want to point out, Abraham says that they will come again to you. Um, He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Again, this is crazy because God just said, Abraham, you're going to sacrifice your son. You're going to kill him. But Abraham is like, we're going to come back. Don't worry. Um, Maybe he was lying, (laughs) but I'm just going to assume that he's telling the truth here and he actually believes what he's saying. If we take Abraham at his word, there seems to be an implicit belief here in God's resurrection power. Um, Abraham believes that even if, even if he has to sacrifice Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead and they're going to return. Amen. And I want to mention, bring this in. You can turn there if you want. Um, this, this actual verse or passage is talked about in the New Testament in several places. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions this, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. This is a really cool chapter in Hebrews. Uh, if you get time, again, check this out, please. Uh, it's kind of what is referred to as the Old Testament hall of, uh, like hall of faith, if you want to call it that. Uh, all the all-stars, you know. Uh, I'm a baseball fan. The all-star game's coming up here, I think, in like a week or something, you know, so each year, <laughs> yeah. So like each year, you know, you vote for the best players, you know, and they play in the all-star game. To me, this is like the all-star team. So um, Hebrews 11 just talks about all these Old Testament figures that were obedient to God, had faith in God, followed God. Um, And so if if you're an all-star, I guess you could say you're in this passage. So Abraham makes it into the hall of faith. So we're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham, by faith, offered up Isaac and believed that even if he had to sacrifice him, that God was going to raise him from the dead because God can do anything. And it mentions in this verse as well that, um, that his only son, Isaac, was only figuratively raised from the dead. He was only figuratively killed. Again, there's just another parallel of how this points to Jesus. Jesus himself was actually killed and actually raised from the dead. I continue reading uh, verses 6 and 7. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So again, Abraham has faith in God's provision. He has faith that God himself will provide uh, the sacrifice, even though at this point in the story, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um, Again, I want to turn us to uh, the New Testament because the New Testament talks about this story in another place in the book of James. So turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. Verse 21 says this, 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So again, we see that Abraham's works in Genesis 22 serve as a justification of his faith. It's an example of the faith that he already had, right? And so this is in line with all of Scripture. Um, We can't, there's no good thing that we can do to earn God's favor, God's love. We cannot save ourselves, church. Um, God has to do that for us. It's through faith that we inherit the promises. It's through faith that we are saved. Um, And so we, yeah, it is our faith that justifies us, and our works are produced out of our faith. And we see that here with Abraham. Because Abraham believed, because Abraham had faith, he obeyed. He did good works, not to earn faith, but because he already had it. Amen. And keep reading, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So we see here that Abraham feared God. So a rhetorical question just for you to ponder and think on. Do you fear God enough to offer up to him that which is most valuable to you? Are you willing to offer up your children, your spouse, your career, your goals, your dreams, your hobbies to God? Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Again, I'm sure this is a super joyful moment for Abraham. He doesn't have to sacrifice Isaac, uh, but instead God has provided a sacrifice. And I just want to highlight again that language at the end of verse 13. He says, it says instead of his son. So again, there's that idea of substitutionary atonement, that instead of Isaac, someone is going to be, or something, uh, in, in this case, the ram, is going to be sacrificed instead. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So this is where we get the title of today's message, the Lord will provide, I'm reading from the ESV, but in the King James, if you happen to have a King James, uh, it's actually the the word Jehovah Jireh, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Uh, There's even a famous song now by Maverick City Music called Jireh, Uh, it comes, comes from this. Um, And it says, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And again, keep in mind, this is the later location of the temple. And so this is the place where the Old Old Testament sacrifices were made, and it's where God's presence and um, provision was manifested. Verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, 
because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. There's a lot here in this, in this passage. The first thing that I want to highlight is that God withheld Abraham's only son, but God eventually would not withhold his only son for us. You guys know John 3.16? I want to highlight this only son language that's here in this verse. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, I want to say this again. God withheld Abraham's only son, but God eventually would not withhold his only son for us. I had some trouble sleeping last night, and I felt like the Lord was, was speaking to me some things, and this wasn't in my notes originally, but I want to share this. The truth is, church, um, Isaac deserved to be sacrificed. Abraham deserved to be sacrificed. I deserve to be sacrificed. Each and every single one of you all and everyone else on this planet deserves to be sacrificed. I think it's easy to read this story and be like, God, like, why would you ask Abraham to kill his son? Like, that's, that doesn't make sense. It's crazy. But I think God is saying, like, you, you don't understand. Like, your sin and your rebellion against me, a good, perfect, loving, holy God, that's crazy. And just the same, I think God tells us and wants us to know that we don't fully understand his great love for us. God says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'll offer up that which is most valuable to me and kill him so that you don't have to die. That's the gospel. That's good news. Amen. And so I think we see in this passage, we see the gospel. It's a wonderful passage. God confirms later on in in these verses, God confirms his covenant and his promise to Abraham. The promises that he made before this, he confirms them here. It's through Abraham's offspring itself um, that the only son will come. He says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I just want to highlight that term, all nations. In the Greek, um, it is pos ho ethnos, and it means exactly what it says in English. All nations, every nation, none are excluded. Um, and so I just want to say implicitly here, like this is here and it's throughout Scripture. Guys, I uh, know that y'all know this, but church, there is no place for racism. God sent Jesus to come and live and die for every single people, tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen. And again, it's not nation like America or Saudi Arabia or Israel. Uh, it would be, you know, like 
the Jews of Israel, the Palestinian Arabs of Israel, the Hejazi Arabs of Saudi Arabia. It's the people groups, the ethnic groups, not just the nations. So again, we see here that it's for all people. The gospel is good news, not just for us here in this church, not just for us here in America, but for every single person on the face of the planet. Amen. And I just want to point this out. Um, he's talking about offspring here, which again is, can be taken plurally, but most biblical scholars believe that this actually refers to a single offspring of Abraham, right? So we know that that, that is Jesus, who is ultimately the son of Abraham. And if you, I think it's Matthew, um, don't quote me on this, but let me check it, Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Um, it says, when it starts, it says, Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. So, so again, we see in this passage that sometimes obeying God leads to greater blessing. Because um, at the end of verse 19, he says, because you have obeyed my voice, I will do this. And again, guys, it's, it's always good to obey God. So I just want to encourage us, like, obey God at all times. But sometimes when we obey God, he blesses us in return. And again, that's not a, a promise across the board. It doesn't mean every time we do something good. Sometimes we do, we do good things, we obey God, and no one sees it. We feel like no one sees it. God sees it. Um, and so when we obey God, um, there is a blessing that comes with that. And because of God's obedience, or Abraham's obedience, God confirmed these promises to Abraham. So um, I want to go over this table. I don't know. It might be hard to see maybe on the, on the screen. Um, but in this passage, Isaac is what we would call a type of Jesus. And I encourage you to, to do this maybe when you have time to look at Old Testament characters um, and see how they relate to Jesus, right? So you could do this with, with David, you could do this with Abraham, with Moses, uh, but we see in this passage that Isaac is a type of Jesus. So let me, let me go over this real quick. Um, Isaac, as we already saw, is a miracle baby, right? He was born to a woman who was barren and supposedly too old to conceive. Jesus, as we know, was a miracle baby. He was born to a virgin. That doesn't happen. Isaac was an only son. Again, Ishmael was technically his brother, but he was the son of promise. Jesus is the only son of God the Father, the son of promise. And I want to mention this too. Many of you may not know this, but Jesus actually had brothers and sisters. So in the same way, actually, that Isaac had a sibling, Jesus also had siblings. Isaac was figuratively dead for three days. Jesus was actually dead for three days. Isaac, uh, it says, I, I didn't mention this, but in verse 3, uh, it says that they went up um, for the sacrifice and there was two servants with him. So Isaac was accompanied by two servants. Jesus on the cross was accompanied by two criminals. Isaac carries the wood for his sacrifice in verse 6. Um, yeah, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So Isaac carries the wood for his own sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross um, on the way to his own sacrifice. Isaac, throughout this passage, willingly submits. Um, and I, I guess I haven't really given Isaac the props that he deserves, but Isaac is a good son. He's obedient. Um, he does all of these things, obeys Abraham, and, and by implication obeys God. Um, and we don't see any record of Isaac complaining or fighting back. Like, it seems like Isaac was very willing to be killed um, in order to fulfill God's plan. In the same way, 
Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for us. Isaac was sacrificed on a mountain in the land of Moriah. Jesus was sacrificed near Mount Moriah. Uh, Tradition says that Jesus was um, crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem. So again, the temple is is Mount Moriah, but Jesus was crucified nearby. So both were sacrificed in the land of Moriah. Isaac uh, was figuratively brought back from the dead, as we looked at in Hebrews. Jesus was actually brought back from the dead. Amen. Praise God. Um, And I think this kind of points to just a principle uh, that we see in the Old Testament, that the scriptures point to Jesus. Um, I want to highlight some verses for you here. Um, If you would turn to the next slide. Um, So when you get time, check these out. The verses themselves are in your notes. I would really encourage you to check these verses out. The first one that I want to point to, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. All of these are in the Gospels. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures, and it is they that bear witness about me. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Um, So when Jesus is talking about Moses, what he really means is um, Moses um, wrote the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what's known as the Pentateuch. Um, So when Jesus says, if you had believed Moses, what he's implying or what he means is like, if you had believed what Moses wrote in those first five books, you would believe me. So Jesus is saying that, like, again, in those first five books of the Bible, like, they talk about me. The second one is on the road to Emmaus. Uh, This is in Luke. Uh, After Jesus' resurrection, he appears to two of his disciples, if you all remember that, on the road to Emmaus. And he says this, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So again, we have that term Moses, so what that means is the Pentateuch. And by the prophets, that's the other portion of Scripture. He interpreted them all the Scriptures, which is the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. So all the Old Testament points to Jesus. And then to his disciples, just after that, he says, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so, church, I want to just let you all know that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills this passage. Um, This passage ultimately points to Jesus on how he was going to come and ultimately be the sacrifice for us. So that's all I've got as far as content. And I, church, I just want to encourage you to dive into the Word of God. Dive into the Old Testament. I'm a little biased, but I love the Old Testament. It's my favorite. It's so rich. Um, and I just want to encourage you in your own time, dive into the Word of God. Go deeper. There's so much there for you. Whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been walking with him for decades, uh, there is so much for you in the Word um, I put this in the notes, but I, I just want to encourage you to, to, if you don't have one already, purchase a study Bible. I am not an expert, and I don't have, I didn't know all of this stuff. I honestly was able to put this together by looking at a study Bible and using an app called Blue, uh, Blue Letter Bible. Study Bibles have maps and notes and a whole bunch of helpful context uh, for understanding passages. And so if you don't have one, purchase a study Bible. And then, yes, I want to mention the Blue Letter Bible app. You can download it on your phone. Um, you can also go to it online, Blue Letter Bible. Uh, I'm going to confess here that I don't actually know Hebrew or Greek, uh, so I just use Blue Letter Bible. There's a really cool tool in there when you click on a verse. Um, you can click on a tool, and it, it says it's called an interlinear. Um, and basically, you can look at the, the Greek terms, the Hebrew terms of what a word means. And then it even shows you all the passages in the Bible where that term is used. 
Um, and I just want to encourage you and challenge you to use that tool, uh, because uh, in Hebrew and in Greek, um, the words have so much more meaning than the words we use in English. Uh, and God is intentional about every single word in Scripture. He doesn't waste a word. And so if a word's used in certain passages, and it's used in other passages, you can find really awesome parallels that I hope and pray will only encourage you to love and worship Jesus more. So as we close, we're going to go into a time of reflection. Um, these questions are on your notes, um, but if not, you can look up on the screen. Um, but I just want to give you a few minutes to really ask the Holy Spirit um, to speak to you. And as he does, I want you to write these down and take them with you. Uh, so the questions are, uh, what have you learned about God or about Jesus from this passage? Second, what have you learned about yourself or about mankind from this passage? Third, and this, is, this one's really important, what is the Holy Spirit telling you that you can obey or put into practice in response to this passage? And then fourth, is there someone in your life that needs to hear this? Is there someone you can share this with? Maybe it's a Muslim friend that you have. Maybe it's a family member. It could be anyone. So I want you to take a couple minutes um, and just spend time uh, listening to the Lord and ask him to reveal these answers to you specifically. And prayer team, uh, prayer and prophetic team, I want to ask you all to come up in just a few minutes. Take, take your time personally to, to respond. Um, but in a couple minutes, come up on the sides. Um, and so those of you who need prayer and that kind of thing, you can come up and receive prayer. And then the worship team, please come up with the prophetic team as well. So take a couple minutes and uh, sit before the Lord.